Coming to you live from the JRE Tobacco Aladino Mobile Studios, it's the Cigar Pulpit. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another sermon from the Cigar Pulpit. I'm the Bishop of the Burn, Nick. And today, I am uh, presenting an interview that I've done with a couple of uh, guys from the PCA. spoke with Josh Haberski and Glenn Loop. They're the... uh, kind of legislative lobbying government affairs team over there at the Premium Cigar Association. And so I'm going to be presenting that interview, but I'm kind of bookending that interview and I'm flying solo for that. So today I'm going to be firing up one of my go-to cigars. Um, I mention it a lot and I figure, you know, it doesn't hurt to go ahead and just stick with one of my tried and true uh, go-to cigars. So I'm going to be lighting up the Romeo He Julieta Reserva Real. Nicaragua. It's a 6x54 Toro, and it is a Nicaraguan Puro, and this blend actually comes to us from AJ Fernandez. So, it's got a nice bit of spice in the beginning, it's got some spice throughout, and the retrohale is nice and spicy and everything on it, but the uh, actual cigar is really, really good, a lot of good flavor notes to it, and I will kind of circle back on that post-interview. But first, it is time I go ahead and cut the cigar. And the official cutting is brought to you by Dan the Man Ponder over there at Riverman Cigar Company. Don't forget, mark your calendars if you haven't marked them by now. I don't know why you haven't. Uh, Coming up on Saturday, September 24th, Dan the Man Ponder will be hosting his annual rollers event out there at his shop in Crestwood. He's going to have the guys from the Smokin' Butts and Tappin' Ash Cigar and Barbecue Club. They're going to be making uh, pulled pork and pulled chicken, I believe. And they're going to have samples of ribs and brisket. And let me tell you guys, you're going to want to get in on that because in their very first competition, they won first place in ribs. And in their second competition, they won grand champion overall. So we're not, you know, messing around here with the food. Otherwise, there's going to be a cigar roller on site and there's going to be all kinds of great cigars for sale at Riverman Cigar Company. I know that Dan has a selection of some really rare Fuente uh, Opus X and Casa Fuente cigars sitting there waiting for the event. So you're going to want to make sure that you're there, present, and ready to buy. Um, And, you know, it's going to be a great day here in St. Louis. So you can chill out in the parking lot, bring your lawn chair, have a good time. It's going to be a good time. And don't forget, that is on Saturday, September 24th. The Friday prior is Pulpit Fest at Top Shooters, where you can hang out with everybody and uh, just kind of get to know uh, get to know all the other listeners of the Cigar Pulpit. It's a fun weekend. You're going to want to get in on that. But, guys, if you're in the St. Louis area, make Dan the Man Ponder a stop when you're looking for premium cigars. And if you're not in the St. Louis area, but you want to support a really good brick and mortar, he does do mail order, so you can give him a call. Over there at Riverman Cigars, and he can put a a shipment of cigars, a box of cigars, accessories, whatever you need. He will get that sent to you right away. So that's Dan the Man Ponder at Riverman Cigar Company. And with that, it's time to go ahead and cut the cigar. So, like I said, I have a 6x54 Toro of this guy here. Actually, I had to restock my supply of these. Um... I smoke them on the regular. I mean, like I said, they are just one of my go-to um, regular smokes. They just, it's just such a great cigar. And 
it's so uh, affordable and I, I effortless to smoke. I mean, I rarely have an issue. I, I can't tell you if I've had like a draw issue or anything like that with these. I mean, it's, uh, they, they're just so good. So we're going to give this guy a cold draw here. There's a little bit of fruity sweetness to it. And uh, I'm I, I'm just, I'm going for it. I'm looking forward to it here. We're going to go right for it. So we have lit a cigar. This is never easy by yourself. Mm. For those of you watching on the YouTube, there's a bit of a breeze through here in the JRE Tobacco Aladino Mobile Studios under my carport. And I think I just singed some hair off of the edge of my hand uh, with my lighter. So... Right off the bat, there is that little A.J. Fernandez familiar punch of spice. Uh, some nice earthiness to this cigar. Um, it's just, it's, it's a fantastic cigar. I love smoking it. I smoke it all the time. So, why don't we go ahead and jump into the interview that I did with Joshua Haberski and Glenn Loop from the PCA. We talk about the court case hearing, um, or the court case ruling um, that took place prior uh, to the PCA trade show in July. That was a really big deal, and we've been trying to get, you know, these guys in to talk about that for, well, a couple months now. And uh, with the trade show and everything else, it just got really busy. As you're you're going to find out. These guys have been very, very busy lobbying and fighting um, the politicians and the governments, you know, on your behalf, the cigar smoker. We also discuss... Um, Maybe some of the rumblings that you're hearing about uh, possible bans on uh, imports of Nicaraguan goods, what that has to do with cigars. But we get into all kinds of different stuff. And uh, you'll also find out what they picked in this week's uh, United Cigars One Must Go. So why don't we jump into the interview? Enjoy. Well, we are joined today by Josh Haberski and Glenn Loop from the uh, Premium Cigar Association. How are you guys? Doing well, Nick. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. So you guys are the go-to source for information about legislation and how the government is impacting the cigar industry and also, you know, um, retail and, and, and protecting the retail side and everything else. So like, there's a couple of big topics that have come up since uh, we last spoke that I wanted to touch base with you guys on. And I think it's good to start with um, probably maybe the uh, the lay of the land as it is right now. Or I don't know. Do you want to start with your really, really good news? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we have a lot to cover. We I mean, do. it's been a busy, busy few months. Um, you know, I think that. One of the things that Glenn and I have been working on actively, you know, Glenn in the states has been fortifying state associations at the you know, trade show. We had uh, over nearly a dozen meetings, um, you know, the state activity, it never stops. So as soon as sessions adjourn, we're starting to prepare for 2023. Congressionally, we've been fighting taxes. 
Um, here's another good piece of, of news. We've had no tax increases at the federal or state level for two years now. This is that's year fair. number two. Fantastic. So, you know, that that's a, a proud statistic that um, we're often citing now and one that we want to see continue. And there were some very, very tough battles in that. And I think it sometimes it's oversimplified when we stated, you know, between the states and federally, it wasn't for a lack of introduction of, of tax increases, but our advocacy has really hit a rhythm. Uh, we're working well with coordinate groups, um, but a, a lot of, of, of tough issues that we faced. And then obviously I know we're going to get into the court case, which um, you know, I think was your, uh, in your introduction talking about the really good news. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll we'll tease people a little bit more <laughs> right now, you know, what we've been focused on, um, you know, the flavor issue. That was something that has come up. Um, the federal government um, released a proposed rule banning uh, characterizing flavors. And um, we submitted a comment opposing that which um, I know that some folks were, oh, what, what is PCA's position? Our position, you know, we believe hey, in definitely. You know, I'm uh, really sorry. I completely forgot to hit record here. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to start the recording. Recording in progress. We'll start. We'll, it, it, we, we'll just keep going from here and I'll just do a little thing when I do this, but I'm sorry. I just wanted to like hit that real quick. So, all right. I'm sorry. We were talking about the flavor uh, issue. Yeah. I mean, we have a, a ton of different issues we're facing a lot in the states and, and federally, like, you know, the tax increases are, uh, you know, always a challenge every year for the second year in a row. Pleased to report that no federal or state tax increases. Um, the flavor issue itself uh, is something that came up at both the state and the federal level. Um, federally, the government um, is considering banning characterizing flavors. We submitted a comment opposing that. And um, for a variety of different reasons, we believe that the you know premium cigars are the strict definition, what the FDA has utilized, what the courts have utilized. And, um, you know, that doesn't include flavored products, but we still believe that our retailers carry those. We surveyed our membership, 93% carry flavored cigars. Of course, pipe tobacco is flavored. So we opposed um, the prohibition and, and said to the FDA, you haven't done your homework on small businesses. You haven't done your homework on the international impact. And um, there's no reason based off of the data to ban these products. So we submitted that. And I know Glenn has been doing a tremendous work in the state of California, which is a similar ban. And I'll, I'll turn it over to him on that. Well, hello. Hey, Glenn. <laughs> How are you? Forgive me for joining you from my wife's car. That's okay. I'm just shocked. But that she smokes. Yeah, what's that? She smokes. She smokes more cigars than you and me put together. All right. That's <laughs> what I was going to say is I'm shocked you're smoking in your wife's car. But, <laughs> hey, you know what? <laughs> but uh, but that being said, <laughs> which means we have peace in the peace in the valley, as they say in the legislature. <laughs> um, as Josh alluded to, I mean, over the course of the last year and up until right now, this very moment, uh, flavor bans have been one of the predominant legislative issues in, in many, many state capitals. Uh, fortunately, through the concerted effort of the retail community, 
and the Colorado Retailers uh, Tobacconist Association and uh, Veronica Fenner and the great people out there and combining forces with Smoker Friendly in the 11th hour. And I do mean, I mean, like there were three hours left to go. <laughs> in the legislative session in the legislative session in Colorado when that bill died. Yeah. And it was a concerted, concerted effort from the retail community to get the small business side of that angle uh through that that legislative I mean, there was one committee hearing that went eleven hours. I mean, every every kid, every Girl Scout, every healthcare body parts lobby person, <laughs> I mean, they were all lined up. It was incredible. Same thing happened in Maine. And while flavor bans have been uh, taking off at the metro level in, in Maine, they have not been able to get it through the state legislature, and it's and it's a revenue issue. And and the small business community, uh, uh, Cigarette City, and uh, several others in, in Maine have been able to get the point across as to the adverse economic consequences to small businesses in the state of Maine. So right now we're confronting a really different political beast in that it's a it's a referendum on the ballot on November the 8th in California. And while about 139, and I'm pulling that number out of the sky, but it's close to being right, California jurisdictions have already done one. There are hundreds that have not. And uh, it's going to be on the ballot, and it's a big vote no on Prop 31 campaign that the distributors, the retail community, have come together for some manufacturers uh, to, to help us with that. The Cigar Association of America, the National Association of Tobacco Outlets, uh, the California Association of Retail Tobacconists, all joining forces for a grassroots campaign. I'm not going to kid you. It's an uphill battle. It's going to be a challenge. But we've got to let the presence be felt. We've got to let the impact be felt. And uh, it's, there's going to be a concerted outreach to the to the consumer communities, really beginning right now. Um while big tobacco is fighting it on on their side of the fence yeah so that's one of the predominant big state issues that is still lingering from this past legislative session as josh alluded now we're getting ready literally day by day getting ready for the 23 legislative state season and uh, that's going to mean a lot of training for the retailers uh especially in targeted states that we can anticipate issues uh, mainly that that corridor that spans, you know, I, sometimes I don't know if I like the term, but the Rust Belt that spans from Minnesota to the Northeast uh, always can anticipate flavor ban issues, tax issues, regulatory issues. Some pots of the pots and spots and pockets of the Deep South uh, will have some tax and regulatory issues, but I feel confident about where we stand there. And then there's the the Central to the West Coast. Uh, preparation. So we'll be doing regional training with the retail tobacconist community, outreach, uh, improving, building upon the success of our cigaraction.org platform, which is our petition system to reach every legislator in the country. Um, so we encourage your listeners to sign up for that. And it's always got to be so frustrating when you guys are coming into, well, it'd be about this time of year because, um, you know, now we're in campaign season in uh for elections and everything and so come january you're gonna see a lot of new faces not just at the federal level but at the in these state houses across the country and you've got you know 50 states to worry about and that's that's a lot of politicians to have to you know track if they've left if they've retained if who the new people are get to know the new people yeah it's uh, all about learning who our friends and enemies are yeah go ahead josh 
Yeah, no, I, I was just going to say, you know, it's it's constant. It's it's constant education, um, you know, with the new cast of characters, you know, federally it will be um, we're in that campaign season working to identify people that are pro cigar candidates. And um, even at the state level, doing fundraisers, going and attending fundraisers and events, that's an important part that, you know, a lot of folks, you know, in the advocacy sphere, we don't talk about that because it's kind of on the back burner. It's the, you know, the um, how the sausage is made. Totally. And, you know, it's it is difficult. And we've brought in one of the things that I will say, and I have to give kudos kudos to my colleague, Glenn, um, he's built a, a apparatus at the States that's been incredibly efficient where we are able to, you know, teach people how to fish, not fish for them. And in the size of an organization like PCA, that's very small, that has only three dedicated staff members to government affairs, we have to cover a lot of ground from local to state to federal and to now international. We've really, um, and I think using Glenn's model at the state level, my colleague Ryan Parada has been taking the lead at the international level where you know we're filing things in Malaysia and New Zealand and the European Union, and it's filling voids. I, I like to you know, either you do it first or you do it better than anyone else. Um, that's that's how we kind of operate as our, our advocacy government affairs mantra. And I think that a lot of things that we're doing, we're trying to fill the void where no one else is there. And, and for me, you know, I had a visit to Canada over the summer and seeing how um, you know, there's some great shops. There's a few great lounges. I was in Montreal and Toronto, but it's kind of a dejected feeling where this is government's going to do something and we can't do anything about it. Yeah. And we want to have that mentality set in and bad policy tends to proliferate. So, you know, New Zealand isn't certainly any one of our, our backyards, but that New Zealand and that policy there really quickly becomes New York you know, New York city, and then we're dealing with it here. So I would rather on the front end um, object to bad policy, no matter where it's taking place. And that's something that I think a lot of folks have seen with PCA. We're always having an international component. We had one at the trade show, a round table, and we had the over almost a dozen uh, state association meetings in November. We're doing a policy summit here in Washington, DC, day one domestic, day two international. So our government affairs, because of a lot of the work that Glenn has done on the front end in the States, we're replicating that model elsewhere. Federally, we've been engaged. Patrick Anderson, who's been a longtime consultant, he and I can kind of tag team the issues and, you know, uh, stave off a lot of bad stuff. But I think it's a, a testament it's even bigger challenge internationally and at the States and Glenn and Ryan have been doing a really good job with that, especially as of recent. Well, and you make a really, Oh, I'm sorry, Glenn. No, I was just going to say, let's put this in a context. I mean, I've been doing this a long time. This was my 16th trade show and I've, I've seen the evolution of the sophistication of the politics of the cigar industry evolve in a relatively, relatively short period of time. And I really want to highlight this. 
Who would have thought that a decade ago, in a de- side of a decade, that you would have a, a retailer sitting for eight hours to wait to give testimony to a Colorado legislative committee? Who would have thought that, that Gary Colsair would, would be hightailing it to Trenton to talk about a tax cap for premium cigars in New Jersey? Who would have thought that the New York Tobacconist Association would have their own re- their own retained lobbyists and make make progress towards a cigar bar bill and a tax cap bill in the state of New York. Who would have thought that you'd be having uh, main retailers line up their employees to testify what their job means to them or retailers in Georgia coming together for a new state association? I mean, I could go state by state by state right now and and depict the leadership that's coming out of the retail tobacconist community. Who would have thought that in West Virginia, you, we'd be on the cusp of electing a cigar shop owner to the state legislature? I mean, that is powerful stuff. It really is. It's exciting. And I could go through my exciting list on and on and on and take up your whole show. Because in every state that, that has burning issues, the leadership of the retail community is galvanizing their consumers they're galvanizing their employees and they're galvanizing their brethren retailers throughout the state. They're putting aside their territorial differences, their personality differences. They're coming together for what's good for this industry. And that's exciting. And and I, I just can't say that enough. I wanted to make sure we got that out. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I'm really thankful that you're taking on this fight in California that you guys were referencing because, you know, a little background on me. I worked for six years doing press and communications for the uh, Illinois House on the uh, Republican side. And, you know, I watched the sausage get made. I the 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 last minute bills passing at 3 a.m. that contained all sorts of stuff that the title of the bill doesn't even reflect and, you know, this and that and whatever. I mean, I I, I was there. I watched a lot of this stuff go down. And um, one of the things that we were always very conscious of in the state house in Illinois is that where California goes, it, five years at most, Illinois is going to try and go. And, you know, you, you, you're seeing all these flavor bands and all these other various things coming out of California. And so it's nice to hear that you're at least taking the fight as best you can. I mean, I know you were mentioning it's at a referendum stage. That's very difficult, you know, when you're getting the voters and, you know, and everything involved. Um, but it's, it's, it's a valiant effort that you have to try, though. And it's important, you know, we, we have to put up a fight. We might not win every battle, but exactly. it, it, it is important that we at least make a concerted effort um, to protect retailers across the board. You know, the our, you know, in, in the work that Scott Pierce and our board has done, giving us clear cut orders that we have to protect the business of specialty tobacco retailing. And there's, you know, the interconnectedness with manufacturers and consumers. We're all consumers first. We um, aren't going to, you know, just ignore problems that, that this industry um, has invested too much time, um, you know, blood, sweat, tears, and, and, and coin to really um, we're not going to be, deferential and just, oh, you know, the public health advocates or the anti-tobacco advocates, they have all these resources and all these people. 
Um, we're going to combat that. We're going to call them out when they're wrong. And we're also going to continue to preach the message that premium cigars are different. And through that clawing and that scrappiness of a small but mighty group of individuals, that message is resonating. And whether it's in the courts or in the legislature, um, you know, or in the executive branches, we are seeing wins and, and, you know, the, the court case, which I'm sure we'll get into, that's a monumental achievement where, you know, three and O against the food and drug administration um, is a good record. I For mean, sure. it, it wasn't a foregone conclusion, especially in that third case, you know, challenging the deeming regulations for premium cigars. And, you know, essentially in that ruling, the FDA, uh, it was determined that it, their uh, actions were arbitrary and capricious and that they also manipulated youth access data, um, that it, it wasn't accurate, uh, you know, and it wasn't warranted. So now we're in this phase. We've already won the case, but there were briefs that were required a, a couple of weeks ago that were filed. Our attorney, Mike Ledney, submitted one on behalf of the industry. And uh, we're waiting. It could happen at any moment what that remedy is. And, you know, from most of our, our vantage point, the results are either good or great. Um, you know, the the FDA might have to start over completely um, or, you know, decide not to. And, and, you know, it's in the history of our country, premium cigars for the longest time were regulated by Ag Department of Agriculture, by TTB. It's not like it's this wild west where, you know, everyone could freely do this. And one of the arguments that the FDA made, made in the um, brief that they filed is the Tobacco 21. Well, number one, they were the Congress passed a law. So they gave clear justification for T21. And the FDA never promulgated a rule. They never followed Congress's intent. We didn't have guidelines to do it. The industry took it upon themselves and also the state legislatures. 40 of 50 states have already passed laws for the age of purchase and more will follow in 2023. So it's not this crazy pipe dream that we can't exist in a, in a, in a, uh, atmosphere that protects kids that doesn't, you know, you know, do do things like, um, you, you know, marketing to youth uh, without the FDA. And I think that if somebody would have said that three years ago, the commentary would be vastly different than how we're talking today. The industry is in a much better place with with a, a, a more stable environment. Oh, for sure. And so let's. Um for those listeners who maybe aren't up to date on the court, you know, decision that we're talking about. So this was back in uh, early July. It was right before your trade show, uh, which yep. I mean, talk about perfect timing for you guys on that front, but why don't we, uh, can you give like a real quick reader's digest version of what this means? Because like, you know, what does it mean? We hear a lot about state uh, substantial equivalence, you know, there are dates that were thrown around about whether or not you were grandfathered and all this and whatnot. And so, like, what does this mean for everybody kind of as it stands right now? 
So to simplify it, you know, the, the first two cases, you know, one dealt with uh, warning labels. The second one was substantial equivalence pre-market review. They were all regulations crafted by the Food and Drug Administration as a result of the deeming rule. The deeming rule um, was something that was in, in the Tobacco Control Act that allowed the FDA to wave their magic wand and say, all right, this category is now covered. We are regulating this. But in doing so, um, you know, the, the Food and Drug Administration didn't follow the, the process. They rejected option two of creating a, a carve out uh, for premium cigars or a category for premium cigars. And in doing so, they rejected a lot of the, the data, never you know, vetted it properly. And that was determined to be arbitrary and capricious. So the deeming rule that encompassed all these other regulations that the FDA has done, that was successfully challenged. And now we're in this waiting period for a remedy. Gotcha. So the warning labels, substantial equivalents and all that fun stuff, you know, in quotes, that because the deeming rule was found to be done improperly, all that is now off the table as of right now. Well, we don't know that. We don't okay. when you get the, the remedy, uh, you know, the for warning labels and for substantial equivalents, those were two separate cases that we uh successfully won. those are are off the table for now um and this challenge the deeming rule would encompass all those regulations that are aforementioned but also things that you know you don't really think about like the the sample ban so you know being able for manufacturers to provide samples to the troops uh, serving overseas things like user fees um, that are that are paid by the industry um, and, and a few other odds and end, ends items there. So, okay, so those issues still need to be worked out or? So those are being, you know, the deeming rule itself is being challenged. I was see, successfully okay. Challenged, and in the remedy, it will encompass those a- actions or those I activities. See. Okay, okay. Um. Well, very good. So you said that you said there were some briefs that were filed. So kind of like where. So you're currently working on challenging, figuring out the remedy is, is where we're at. with. So the briefs have been filed. Now it's hurry up and wait for the judge. Ah, it, yeah, the judge is the one that's determining that everything okay. has been submitted um, and um, from both parties. So determining what the, um, you know, the remedy is. I don't think I'm speaking out of school here, and Josh can correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. But what all this dramatizes in a really simplistic fashion is that the agency wasn't ready to regulate when it said it was going to regulate. Gotcha. The, the homework had not been done, and the NASM report uh, really, really dramatized what information is lacking at the agency level to promulgate a regulation that you know, either they could live with or the industry could live with, or if there needs to be any at all. Um, it, it basically said, here's a study to study. And here's a study that recommends nine different studies. And when you say that, it proves it was not ready for prime time. And I think the judge caught on to that. And it was, you know, the NASM report, uh, National Academies of Sciences, that was something that, you know, I presented to Scott Pierce and uh, our counterparts at uh, Cigar Rights America. 
we, uh, you know, presented before that group, 15 medical professionals, doctors and researchers, it wasn't like a favorable audience. I mean, we were very concerned in the lead up to it. And there was a lot of positive things that, you know, came about from the report that we've been able to utilize and saying, well, you know, they don't have the research on this, that there's a gap or that the research indicates stuff that we've been saying for the longest of time about infrequency of use, lack of youth access, items like that. And then even uh, price point, you know, in defining a premium cigar, that report said that uh, the price point, um, you know, an economic quantifier is not necessary in in doing that. And that's one where that leads to the California discussion. There is an exemption for premium cigars that are, 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 are cigars that are flavored over $12 wholesale. So a crazy price point, but there is an economic quantifier. And one of the arguments that we're making is that that economic quantifier shouldn't exist. Yeah, I'm not aware of any $24 retail, uh, you know, <laughs> flavored cigars. I mean, you know, maybe, but I, I, I don't know of any off the top of my head. Yeah, it's, it's almost as if government's going to inflate prices for yeah. no, no, no reason. So, you know, the NASM report, that, that's another positive achievement uh, in the last two years of the industry, you know, selling the, their, the, the story um, and using facts and figures to counteract the prevailing narrative by anti-tobacco groups. And, you know, on the other side of it, we were against Cancer Society and the campaign for tobacco-free kids, and they were launching their talking points. And I think that we're at a, a, a restart um, in, in building off of those wins and those achievements. But um, tomorrow, we have a meeting with the new director for the Center for Tobacco Products, Dr. Brian King. And one of the things that we're hopeful with Dr. King, he's more of a researcher, medical professional, while Mitch Zeller, the previous director, worked in the anti-tobacco camp and was more of an activist. So, you know, hopefully this is a breath of fresh air where some of these things we can change and have a, a dialogue. There were representatives from the FDA that requested to come to our trade show. They've done that in the past, mm -hmm. but we had a high level deputy director that was present at this year's trade show who understands um, some of the arguments in our position. And we're hoping that that dialogue continue and we don't have to be constantly on the defensive. We can proactively say, all right, you know, if this is a concern of yours, we can be an information soundboard to the retailers, to the industry, to consumers uh, to take, you know, some self-policing, self-regulatory action. For sure. Interesting. Well, I would like to switch gears for a moment, if we can. And uh, one of the things that has been hitting the news lately has been um, reports that the U.S. government might be looking to possibly ban imports from Nicaragua of various goods. And given the fact that there are an awful lot of cigars that come from Nicaragua, you know, that has been uh, a topic of conversation in the cigar media and cigar news and all that. And I just wanted to know um, kind of where you guys are at on that. Maybe I, you know, if you can talk about it, I don't know what you're up to with it. And uh, we kind of get into that subject a little bit. 
Yeah, you know, we're, we're actively monitoring the situation. It's been something that has been on our radar for many months, um, you know, leading up to the elections in, in Nicaragua, um, you know, last, last uh, this uh, November. So, you know, it's nothing new. The temperature certainly has heated up a bit. Um, but it's one one of the things that we can do being, you know, government affairs professionals here in the United States um, is talk about the message of, you know, whatever actions are taken to protect the, the workers in Nicaragua and U.S. based businesses. That that is our um, concern. So, uh, you know, there's has been discussions and news reports about that Nicaragua could be pulled from the CAFTA-DR trade agreement, that tariffs, a complete import ban, um, you know, some of it, who knows whether it's it's saber rattling or not. Um, but it's a situation that we're, first and foremost, we want to make sure that we are um, talking about the message of the U.S.-based companies that import cigars and then also the retailers um, that that sell those cigars. Obviously, Nicaragua is is a major player. But the one thing I would say is we're also ac- actively monitoring what's going on in Honduras and the Dominican Republic and Mexico and Guatemala and um, you know Costa Rica. We've, as I mentioned in kind of the previous discussion, we've been very focused on a lot of what's going on in the international community. Uh, so it is something that's that we are engaged on. We have been engaged on. It wasn't like, oh, this report came and, and instantly we have to hurry up and wait. Yeah. Um, this has been something that has been on our radar in, in at PCA for many months. Uh, we work with a consultant that um, also represents the liquor industry, uh, which is another industry that's been affected. And, you know, obviously cigars are our North star and we're focused on that, but this would affect a lot of other industries. So the one thing that I would say that um, I feel comfortable sharing with the audience with that, we are starting to engage with some of these other industries that could be affected by whatever action takes place or, or lack of action. So um, I think that information sharing is important. Very good. Um, have and I don't know if you're able or willing to speak on this topic or not, but you know there are a lot of manufacturers based out of Nicaragua. Do you know if any are? And you don't have to give any specifics if you don't want to, or you don't have to say anything at all to be honest if you don't want to. But like, have you spoken to any of them about maybe any plans that they're making right now uh, in terms of Nicaragua operations? Maybe shifting some to Honduras or what they what they may do in case something like this were to happen. We haven't had those conversations. That's not really our our role. Okay. Um, we have to monitor the situation. You know, we we have to get the information. Um, you know, from from the U.S. government, from the policymakers there. We have a really good re- relationship with the the Senate uh, Foreign Affairs Committee. You know, Senator uh, Menendez and Senator Rubio are champions of the industry. This is an an issue that's close to them as well. Um, so uh, we're information gatherers. 
Um, and, um, you know, the, the decisions that private companies make based off of the information we provide, um, that's certainly up to them. But I, my knowledge, there's none of those conversations we have not been privy to, nor do we really want to be privy uh, to, to those conversations. For sure. Okay. Um, so then I guess if you to kind of wrap up this conversation a little bit. Uh, before we get into um, a segment that we've got that I want you guys to take part in, um, what kind of can you give kind of a future overview, you know, of everything that you guys have going? I know we talked a little bit about, you know, California and the efforts there. And we talked about your looking ahead to the, the next year's legislature and everything. But like just kind of a general wrap up overview for for the listeners about kind of what what's going on. Yeah, you know, I think there's a couple things, and then I'll, I'll defer to Glenn on, on all the state stuff, but we have some key meetings coming up, as I mentioned, tomorrow um, with the Center for Tobacco Products. We are also hosting uh, staff from the embassies of Honduras, the Dominican Republic, and Guatemala on Thursday. Um, and um, there's another NASEM committee meeting on Friday about tobacco policy as it relates to diversity and equity. Um, that's going to be important in the context of future regulations and future policy. We have the active flavor uh, proposed rule. We will be having a, a small business administration meeting in, in late September or October. Our policy summit in November um, that, you know, on domestic and international. Uh, so those are some of the key takeaways that, that we have. We're all, always monitoring the tax situation. Um, there are certain things that are on the back burner that are constant, but I think that those are the big ticket items um, between now and the end of the year. And who knows, something could pop up tomorrow and, you know, we have to respond accordingly to it, but um, it's certainly going to keep us busy. The other thing that I would say this summer, we spent a lot of time on the road as an association. We are trying to meet the retailers face-to-face, -face, the industry face-to-face, um, you know, Scott Pierce and I were at the Drew Estate Barn Smoker. We did a couple events uh, in New England, in the Midwest, uh, went to Brew City Cigar Festival, uh, another couple events going from Michigan to Ohio and Indiana. So we want to be front and center if there's problems locally or in the States. We want to have that face-to-face -face interaction. Um, a couple of us are, are going to uh, Dortmund. Uh, for inner tobacco, uh, you know, next week, at more on that international angle. And then uh, Glenn, myself and Scott will be doing a tour talking to a lot of manufacturers in Tampa and uh, Miami in uh, November and December. So uh, front and center kind of preparing everything for 2023. So we have one foot in 2022, one foot in 2023. Along those lines, it's really organization time. Yeah, You know, we, we've got 25 states that have some level of organization or another uh, currently at the state association level. Uh, and that's a, that's a good number to have half the country organized to, and prepared to, to handle the good, the bad, and the ugly come the 23 legislative season. We've got groundwork laid in another 10 states. So that makes me feel good because the states that are remaining are states that traditionally just don't have many tobacco-oriented issues. 
so if we can accomplish that by December 31st, I'll, I'll wave the flag and, and declare victory on the organizational side of the equation. Uh, we're going to be doing the training sessions going into October uh, for individual states that we know are going to have issues and regions that may have an issue here or an issue there. Uh, so really, it's organization, it's priming, it's preparing testimony, it's identifying our friends and enemies in the legislature, as you, uh, as we alluded to earlier. There are states like Pennsylvania and New Hampshire and Connecticut uh, that have organized cigar caucuses within their legislature, where we have known allies that we can look to to help us on, on legislation in state capitals throughout the country. Uh, we're going to be polling all the states right now as to where we think, where do they think we, that we stand going into the 23 legislative session. Uh, session. States like Oregon and Washington, that, that'll be very important. Illinois, Minnesota. Um, again, I could go on, but it's really touching the grassroots, organizing the grassroots, preparing our organizational capacity to handle whatever's thrown at us during the 23 legislative season. And we know that there'll be states that we can anticipate today what's going to, what is going to be filed based upon what could be carried over from 22. So I think what I'm saying here is that, again, it's that level of sophistication, the level of political sophistication of this industry has exponentially gone up over the last decade. We're in a great position, I think now to handle just about, just about anything that gets thrown at us. Fortunately, the economy is strong enough to just to, to justify our position that there's no need for tax increases. And uh, that's helped us in places like Massachusetts and Maine and Illinois, uh, even some deep south states that have flirted with, with tax increases. The strength of the economy, a lot of states are running surpluses right now. So it's hard to justify a tax increase in that environment. Uh, and again, I think we're, we're really beefing up our small business argument that it's not about tobacco. It's not about smoke. It's about small business. It's about businesses that have been on Main Street America for a, as long as the country has. I mean, Josh and Scott were just up in Boston and LJ Peretti, one of the oldest shops in the country. It's, it's an institution. My local cigar shop in Virginia is 100, 116 years old. Wow. Um, you know, they're, they're community institutions. Even shops that have been around for five years or two years are an ingrained part of their small business fabric. And getting that story across to legislators is the key to victory. For sure. And, and, and cigars, premium cigars are not a partisan issue. They're ones that, you know, we have champions across both aisles. And it's important that, you know, we continue that, as Glenn mentioned, the small business message, because I think universally, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, there is an understanding that small businesses are important. And most folks want to protect those small businesses, you know, having dealt with the craziness and all of the problems of the pandemic, you know, we need to continue to protect those small businesses. And that should be on the, the forefront of any elected official, whether it be at the state or federal level. Well, and you make a really valid point, because if there's one thing the pandemic proved is just how vital 
small business is to the economy of the United States. You know, it's, it's, you have more people employed by small businesses than you do large businesses. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's the, it's the lifeblood of this country. And so, you know, granted, we're talking about cigar shops and tobacco shops, but, you know, they're just as important as any other small business out there and they need to be protected. Absolutely. So real quick, before we get into the segment, I thought of one other thing I wanted to touch base with you guys on. I know you guys are more the legislative side and everything, but uh, Jeff and I, we weren't able to make the PCA trade show. And I just wanted to kind of give your, you know, thoughts on how the trade show went this year. I think Glenn and I are still tired from the trade show. <laughs> we were so busy. I mean, it. Like I said, almost 12 state association meetings, three breakout sessions. I mean, it, it was crazy. It was intense. I mean, we had, um, you know, elected officials, FDA. We were kind of, you know, walking around with dignitaries. And um, I think this show, I, I didn't have a chance to smoke that many cigars because we were so busy. I mean, it was um, nonstop. The atmosphere was electric. I mean, people had a good time. You saw, you know, lines waiting for, uh, you know, certain booths you had, um, you know, it was, I, I was at the, the 2021 trade show. And I think that we, we made, uh, you know, lemonade out of lemons. And I think that this was a good rebound show. I am incredibly um, enthusiastic and hopeful for the 2023 show. I think you're going to, you know, with the Boutique Cigar Association and their pavilion, I think that the success of 2022 has, you know, yielded results like that partnership with BCA and that people had, you know, it was a good time. It was good for networking. It sufficed, you know, people that were there for that, the entertainment value, it sufficed that, but also the business and business that, you know, people were able to um, conduct business, open new accounts, that was, you know, always at the forefront of it. And if you look objectively, take a your standard manufacturer and your standard retailer, and they would have a po positive outlook about 2022 and that trade show, but have an even more uh, positive outlook towards what's to come. I'm hopeful that we're going to get some of uh, the, the bigger companies um, that weren't participating in, in the 2022 show back next year. Um, and um, really, it has emphasized the importance of the show and how it is the family reunion plus the Super Bowl for the industry. It was the commerce of cigars. It was the commerce of cigars. People are selling everything they can make. Small companies did well. Large companies, mid-sized companies, they, every size and dimension that participated, the retail community that came, came to buy. The manufacturers that were there were prepared to sell. It was a match made in heaven. You could feel the energy. You could feel the, you know, the compliments to the staff, to the board. You could feel the energy in the room. Uh, I, I, it remind, you know, it reminded some of the manufacturers that have been around for a long time of the days of old, if you will. And, um, I, I think that's the, the best Testament you can, you can have. Everybody was happy. That's awesome. Well, I know we're looking forward to coming out to the, uh, 23 
trade show next year. So, well, now, why don't we go ahead and get into this segment? So, um, we do a segment called One Must Go. And I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get into this in a second, but I'm giving you guys the, he- the, uh, the framework here is that basically I'm going to name off three things and we got to cut one. And sometimes it's painful. And this one, it's going to be kind of, it, it's going to be simple, but I don't think it's going to be easy. So we'll get into the United Cigars. One must go. We all need to live united, but one must go. Brought to you by United Cigars, makers of La Giana Havana, Abuelo, Red Anchor, Firecracker, and of course, United Cigars. Distributors of Jose Dominguez, Garofalo, Montoza, and Terra Nova, and the highly acclaimed Atabay, Byron, and Bandolero. Buy United, Smoke United, Live United, United Cigars. All right, guys, we have a group. Wait a minute, wait a minute, okay. before you say a word. All right. We want to we thank United Cigars for sponsoring the government affairs presentation at this year's PCA. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you I go. I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. <laughs> so we have uh, three things, then we're going to cut one. And what we're going to look at today are three wrapper types. We're going to look at Connecticut, Habano, and Maduro. If you couldn't, if you had to cut one, couldn't use it anymore in cigars, which which wrapper would you say you're, you're cutting, and why? Glenn, you're oh, up. You're, oh no, 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 you're up. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm gonna get my rear end kicked for this, but I'm gonna say Connecticut's got a guy. See, I'm with you. I can't. I, I can't. I can't. I couldn't fathom getting rid of the Maduros. Uh, uh, the strength, the power, and I know that flows through Connecticut too, but most of them are too mild for my taste, and I hate to say it, but since you're forcing me to make a decision, and if all right, Glenn must go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't think we've ever had anybody say that they just must go, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually with you. I'm, I'm, you know, I tend to smoke more medium to full-bodied cigars. Um, there are some really great Connecticut's that I really, really enjoy. Um, I know I'm going to miss some, but off the top of my head, I'm a big fan of the JFR Connecticut. I really like the My Father Connecticut. Um, another one from Agonorsa Leaf, we just smoked it on the last show, was the uh, the new uh, rebranded La Validation, uh Connecticut from uh, Agonorsa Leaf. Um Oh my gosh! I know there's other ones. Uh, the Camacho uh, Factory Unleashed Number Two that just uh, that's been flying off the shelves at Riverman, and and it's been a fantastic smoke. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think I I I smoke the least amount of Connecticut. So if I had to let one go, I'd say Connecticut. Josh, what about you? I, I agree with everything that you both said. I mean, I'm I, I the cigars that I smoke the most are Maduro. Um, I could never go, go without that. Um, you know, I think the, the Connecticut, I really, really enjoy them in the morning, but as the day progresses, like I would never, I never smoke Connecticut's in the evening or, you know, like where we're at right now. Yeah. Um, it, it's one of those things where I just, I mainly smoke cigars with coffee 
and I do black coffee. And I think that that is the perfect pairing with a Maduro. Um, you know, I know some people like Connecticut and, you know, when you have an espresso with seltzer water, I do like the Connecticut's in, in the morning. That's, that's kind of my, my go-to. Um, I smoke a lot of cigars. So I'll be honest with you. I, I always laugh because in the, when we talk about frequency of use and stuff like that, I know, <laughs> but I'm an extreme outlier. And that's why I was, that was the only disappointment of the trade show was I didn't get to smoke a lot of cigars. Because we were busy. Um, you know, so I, I, I would agree with you both on that, but um, you know, it, it is, it is tough. I, I, I say that now and probably the next two or three weeks, I'll be smoking mainly Connecticut's. But next time, don't give us an industry selection <laughs> like that. Well, <laughs> you know, give me something like herpes, my ex-wife, and tequila. Oh, well, you see. know, see. <laughs> well, I can get, okay, I can get, no, well. No, no, it's too late. I, it is too late. Don't, don't. But I can, this is a G-rated podcast, Glenn. You can't oh, no, it. it's not. No, no, no. I was going <laughs> to say I, I can give you the one that we did on the last show, which was, uh, what was it? It was morning sex, wake, makeup sex, goodbye sex, and drunk sex. Which one would you well, give up? You know? Connecticut. Connecticut. <laughs> there you go. See? I was say, you ask for a different one, I give you a different one. Oh, <laughs> thank God. Oh, my word. Let me start making them up. Oh, Jesus. All right. <laughs> All right, well, that's been the United Cigars One Must Go. The One Must Go segment was brought to you by United Cigars. United, we smoke. Well, gentlemen, I really want to thank you for your time. And before we go, what are you guys smoking? I'm smoking a Rocky 60. Fantastic cigar. I was smoking a John Jay cigar. It's by Liberty Cigar Company. Um, I just worked on a collaboration with John. His name is John Adams. Um, and he's a, a big historical, he's in, interested in creating historical cigars. He has about 80 different cigars. And there are four um, named on behalf of historical figures. So he has the founder series that cover the founding fathers one of the most interesting um, people that I've met in, in the cigar industry that he sells at the White House Historical Association, Mount Vernon. Um, and um, actually this, this coming weekend, I'll be with John. Uh, we're, we are launching a cigar from my hometown hero, Oliver Hazard Perry, uh, who was the Commodore for in, in the War of 1812 and the, is famous for the Battle of Lake Erie. We created a cigar called the Carinade after the cannons that were used to win that battle. Um, and the cigar has notes of gunpowder. Um, <laughs> the cool part about it is he works with a historian to develop character traits that he then infuses into the tobacco. So, um, you know, you'll, you'll have that. It's, it's a complex process, but his packaging um, for me was something that was noteworthy where he was the perfect partner to work on this. I've actually seen pictures of those cigars, like the founder series, like you're talking about. And yeah. uh, he's got some other ones and, and they look fantastic and I'm a big history buff. So I think they're great, but uh, I haven't encountered any yet. And so I haven't tried any of them yet. Yeah. They're not in too many retail shops. Yeah. Um, 
you know, currently he was, I know that he has like 300,000 cigars ready to go and he plans on doing a full launch. He's going to be another new exhibitor at next year's trade show. Oh, fantastic. Um, so, you know, he's real, it's really exciting to see, but he has been doing it for a number of years and I think is now really focusing on, on getting into retail lounges so everyone can um, use them. They were kind of in those specialty locations like Mount Vernon and White House Historical Association. Very cool. Well, gentlemen, seriously, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you want to touch on real quick before we go? I think we did it. I think we did. All right. Well, you guys have a very fantastic evening, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for helping us. Thanks for helping us spread the word. All right, guys, and we are back from the interview. I hope you enjoyed that, and uh, hopefully, we didn't make things too terribly awkward for those guys. Um, we want to thank, uh, Joshua and Glenn for their time again. Um, I know they're really busy and so I do appreciate them taking time out to discuss, uh, all things cigar legislation with us. So I am smoking the Romeo He Julieta Reserva Real Nicaragua, the Toro, and doing a little research into this. This cigar actually was ranked number 22 in the Cigar Aficionado uh, 2020 Top 25 Cigars. It did receive a 92 rating from Cigar Aficionado. And this specific uh, uh, cigar, they say that it imparts uh, a procession of notes ranging from slate, leather, honey-glazed nuts to raisin and spice before the woody finish. Um, Can't say as I know what slate tastes like. I mean, rock? I, I don't... I don't know. Anyway, um, but, uh, you know, I did get that raisiny kind of sweetness off the cold draw. And, you know, you do get some of the, the cedar notes, um, you know, some of the uh, the woody and kind of nutty notes from this cigar um, as well. So it's a really, really quality cigar. Really, really enjoy it. So why don't we now go ahead and jump into the final third Friday uh, cigar and whiskey lounge pairing and review with our guys Broccoli Rob and Isaiah. It's time for Final Third Friday with my man Broccoli Rob. Welcome back to Final Third Fridays. I'm Isaiah. And I'm Rob. And today we're pairing the Crown Cigars, the night. Yeah. Yeah, it comes from Holly. If you're on Instagram, um, Cigar Beauty on Instagram, this is her uh, most full-bodied line she has right now, and it's absolutely a delicious full-bodied cigar. Absolutely, and we're pairing that with Barrel Dovetail. This is sitting at 122.54 proof. It's a whiskey finished in rum, port, and Dunn Vineyards Cabernet barrels, and it is stellar. It is, it is. You know, just the cold draw on this cigar you know, when we first first just pull uh, first pull on it, it was just this like sweet fig and dark chocolate yeah, and hay. Absolutely, um, really nice cold draw upon the first light up of it. Though you get a nice spicy you know pepper in the nose and cocoa puffs on the palate. Yeah, we it starts off as a sweet cocoa puffs, and as you get into the first third, it turns more of like a like an unsweet cocoa puff that still got all the cocoa, but you get a lot of those other notes, the tobacco notes and stuff as well. Absolutely. But the bourbon itself in the first third whiskey. going into that whiskey, it, uh, 
it ends up being a lot of the Cabernet notes, those really dark and rich fruits, without any of the Cabernet acidity. Into the second third, the uh, the whiskey changes into more of a cherry note with it, which is absolutely stellar. And the cigar um, sip to smoke, you end up getting a lot more of those chocolate and cherry notes. Yeah, second third. Still a lot of spice on the retrohale, enough to keep you interested. Yeah, one thing um, we've been noticing, especially at the first and second third, is going from the cigar to the to the whiskey itself. It's almost like this becomes a an old a little a less sweet old fashioned. Absolutely, you're getting the citrusy notes, you're getting a lot of the cherry. You still get the whiskey in there, and it just makes it a really nice um, pairing that way. But you still pull in a lot of the spice, the the. Um, chocolate, kind of dark chocolate, you know. If you start getting into the second third, you start getting more of the um, umame, the um, almost like a mushroomy, earthy kind yeah. of note to it, but not overwhelming still the spice and the chocolate. It's just like a really good balance of all those flavors. Yeah. And into the final third, the strength kicks up a lot. The, the chocolate notes are still in the cigar. And uh, with the whiskey, it brings in a lot more of that sweetness. Agreed. One thing, too, with this cigar that, that I've noticed more so maybe than you was you got to slow down smoking this cigar. This cigar has got a really nice, not super open draw, but a really, but a perfect draw. Um, and if you if you oversmoke this thing, it just will not – it's going to be harder to keep it lit or it's going to yeah. get mushy on it. Just take your sweet time with this thing, yeah. and you're going to absolutely love it. Um, as you get down into that final third, the whiskey itself gets a little sweeter. You lose a little bit of the bite from the from the 122 heat, yeah. But it just continues to with those cherry and citrusy notes, and even a little bit of a bready quality, which is really nice as well. Absolutely. So yeah, that's it. So yeah, if you guys want to come by and stop in and get this pairing, we'll have this pairing all week. Um, again, it's the Barrel Dovetail and the Night by Crown Cigars. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, I'm at Final Third Cigar. And also FinalThirdCigar.com. Yeah, check out the full-length pairing on YouTube, on yep. the Final Third YouTube page. But you can find me on Instagram at the Whiskey Pastor. Yeah, thanks a lot for listening. We will see you next week. Cheers. Cheers. Well, that was great. Thanks, guys. Uh, we really appreciate the uh, pairings and review from Broccoli Rob and Isaiah over there at the Final Third Cigar and Whiskey Lounge. And for cigar reviews and information about the shop, head on over to FinalThirdCigar.com. Broccoli's got all kinds of great uh, events lined up through the rest of the year. You're going to want to make sure you hit up the calendar, see what's going on. And if you're in the Ingalls, Indiana area, you owe it to yourself to swing by what I consider to be the nicest lounge in the Indianapolis area. So, why don't we go ahead and uh, find out about My Monthly Cigars. This would normally be the time that I give some information about My Monthly Cigars, but I've hired that out this week, so take it away. My Monthly Cigars is a premium cigar subscription service. It comes in a variety of different size boxes at affordable prices. Use offer code PULPIT and get free shipping on your first box and... 20% off any items in the online store at MyMonthlyCigars.com. That's offer code PULPIT. Thanks. Well, for those of you watching on the YouTube, you literally just saw me party foul my ash right into my lap as that was playing. Um, I was taking a drag on my 
cigar and well the ash on it just decided to fall off right into my lap that was very unfortunate um anyway so yeah mymonthlycigars.com not only can you get uh boxes of cigars they come in two sizes the robusto which is four cigars for thirty dollars with the el presidente which is eight cigars for fifty dollars it's two of everything that's in the robusto box but you can also uh, get the fucking good coffee. You can try out the Daily Press, which is the official cigar pulpit blend, and the lounge blend, and all kinds of other fun stuff. So head on over there to mymonthlycigars.com. And uh, while you're at it, sign up for Nick's uh, new email newsletter, the the uh, Weekly Cut. It's a, it's a jam-packed informational newsletter that uh, comes out, I believe, on Fridays. So you're going to want to get in on that. Anyway, uh, we are available on the socials at Instagram at the Cigar Pulpit, as well as at Naked Gator, N-E-K-K-I-D Gator. That's his page. We're also on Facebook, where we have the uh, Cigar Pulpit Parishioners Group. You want to get in on that? It's like the official Facebook group of the show, and you know it's great because we get a lot of camaraderie amongst the listeners and everything like that. You're gonna want to get in on that. Twitter, we don't do jack shit. YouTube, you can watch me ash on myself. And, uh, guys, we need your calls for Ask the Boys. Currently, I have one call, and uh, we are looking, yeah, I have, I have one call for, for next week. So get your uh, calls in. We are going to be recording a little early due to the fact that next week I will be up in uh, New Hampshire for the Two Guys Smoke Shop 37th Anniversary Party. So um, I believe Tuesday's show will be recorded on Sunday, so you're going to want to make sure that you get your calls in um, eh, today, Friday, or tomorrow, Saturday, and then that way you can be a part of the show on Tuesday. And, um, oh, that number, area code 863-874-0000. Otherwise, um, final thoughts on the Romeo Hijulieta Reserva Real Nicaragua. Love the cigar. Smoke a ton of them. Highly recommend it for people who like uh, medium-bodied cigars from Nicaragua that have that little bit of spice to it. Or if you're a fan of A.J. Fernandez and you want to see what he can do with a classic blend, um, you know, short answer is he punches it up. So, you know, give it a try. Um, Jeff uh, would have joined me for these bookends. However, um, he's in hiding because he invited uh, Queen Elizabeth onto the show. And, well, our thoughts and well wishes go out to the royal family and the people of Great Britain who have lost uh, Queen Elizabeth at age 96. You can thank Gator for that. Anyway, um, otherwise, I am uh, out of here. So, guys, this has been another sermon from the Cigar Pulpit. I'm Nick. Everybody stay safe and stay smoky. Later, guys.